Uh, we are nearing the end of the summer, and that means we're coming to the end of, of our summer of psalms, or summer in the psalms, or whatever catchy phrase we had for that. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. And uh, so just to give you some idea of what's happening in the future, starting in September, we're going to be wor- begin working through the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is a uh, great book. It talks about the establishment of the New Testament church, and our, our hope is that this will be a great encouragement to us, particularly as, as we're a young church plant, and we're still continuing to, to kind of learn how to establish ourselves in this community, and, and really just this amazing city. Um, I, I, I hope you feel that way. I, I know we've been here two years personally. Most of you have similar stories. Some of you have been here much longer, but uh, we love this city. Um, this is an amazing place. I don't know if you ever stop and just think, okay, a lot of you are traveling in and out, and it's a very transient culture, uh, but just realize God has you in an amazing city right now in your life. Um, get out of your houses. Get out, enjoy the community, enjoy the things that are going on, because this is just a great town. Uh, so anyway, uh, then the Sunday, the 30th of August, we're going to do a, a summary, which is just looking back at our core values. You might remember when we first started, if if you were here at the beginning, we went through them week by week. We're going to put them all in one week. Uh, and the whole goal there is, is to really keep those fresh in our mind. What are the core values of, that we have as a church and, and to keep those fresh as we, we go forward. Uh, and then <clears throat> next week, we're going to be in Psalm 96, and that's going to be the last psalm of the summer. And uh, we'll see. We're thinking about doing it again next year. And I think we figured out 2028 we'd finish the psalms at this rate. So, And that doesn't even include that, what, how many chapters are in Psalm 119? So maybe it'd be longer than that. Uh, but anyway, today we're in Psalm 84. Uh, open up your Bibles. Open up right to the middle of your Bible. You're right there. And uh, find Psalm 84. Uh, Psalm 84 is 12 verses long, and we're going to read it in its entirety. We don't always do that this week. I think it'd be great to do that. Uh, and then we'll, we'll really begin to dig into it uh, in more detail. So, <clears throat> Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we've just read the author of this psalm say that a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else in the universe. Lord, move our hearts today so that we can agree with the psalmist, so that we can find true satisfaction in you alone, not places of prestige, not places of luxury, but where you and you alone are. 
that we might sing and speak and proclaim to you who are worthy of all praise. As we now wander through these 12 verses of your word, please give us focus and faith to believe it. Change us in ways that only your word can change us. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So as we've been working through these psalms this summer, you might have noticed some of them actually have a title before that, a little bit of a little statement that tells you something. Sometimes they tell us who wrote it. Sometimes they refer to the situation that was going on uh, in the psalmist's life at the time when he wrote it. Psalm 84 is one of them that has the title. If you look up there, you see it. It says, To the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And it's little bitty title but it tells us three unique things first it tells us that this is to be sung and it's to be sung to God as worship Um, that's why this is written in the second person you might have noticed it says how lovely is your dwelling place O Lord it's speaking to God himself it's worship to God Um, praise towards him the second thing we see here is according to the giddeth any of you know what a giddeth is I had to look this up I thought a couple of you might but you don't apparently uh, a giddeth tells us that uh, this is to be sung and, and using an instrument, at least a giddeth. Uh, a giddeth was a harp-like instrument that was used in, in worship. Uh, and the last phrase here is very interesting in understanding this psalm. Uh, it says, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How many of you know who, the, who Korah is? Anyone? All right, I don't feel bad then. I've been through seminary. I didn't know who they were when I began looking at this. Um, when it comes to the authors of the Psalms, I think uh, we see David and we're like, yeah, I know David, I've heard of him. Uh, and we see Solomon and we think, okay, I know about that guy. But then we see Korah and, and it's just this, who is this? Uh, my first thought is who's Korah and, and why are his sons writing Psalms at all? Uh, so let me just give you a, a quick overview. Korah was a, a cousin of Aaron and, and Moses. And, and Aaron and Moses were the appointed leader of the people. Uh, Korah, though, was, was this cousin. He was arrogant. He didn't like that Moses and Aaron were in charge. And he thought, you know what, I'd be a better leader. And so he, he rises up this big rebellion and wants to take over the leadership that Moses and, and Aaron had. Uh, the, the rebellion fails. Korah dies. Uh, many of the people with him die, most of them. And, and yet some of his family live on. And so the family name continues on. And so much later, once they've built the temple uh, and it's completed, and, and then you begin to have... Um, roles or jobs, services within the temple are being given to these different family groups. And, and these positions are actually recorded in First Chronicles. Aaron's descendants were told to take care of the sacrifices. You start to see these are the priests. Uh, and then you have Asaph and Haman's children were assigned to provide music uh, that would be sung in God's house. In fact, First uh, Chronicles 25.1 tells us, uh, it says this, they are to do so with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. And uh, Three instruments, and we don't have any of those. We should probably figure out what a lyre is, find a harp and cymbals. Um, and yet, uh, those are what they're telling there. And then, and then what we see is in the very next chapter, the sons of Korah are given their assignment. They're being told what their job's going to be, and they're told you're going to be the doorkeepers of the temple. Um, see, their job was, was to guard the doors. Uh, they open them, they shut them, they, they guard to see who's coming in and going out. Uh, you know, as you get into this, we're told that they have all sorts of other things. They're often called the janitors. Uh, it's a less favorable title, generally. Um, but that's what it was. It's not that it was incredibly unprestigious, but uh, compared to being a, a priest or a singer or a musician, this was uh, something that was needed, and yet it wasn't the same sort of prestige that these other people were given. It did 
leave them on the outskirts of what was happening in the, in the worship service at times. It was, it was honestly similar to what we have here as, as people are serving to make this worship service happen. Uh, you know, you, you see what John and I are doing in this, the service. We're right here. If you don't see us, something's wrong um, each week. But you also see the musicians. You can look behind me. You know who's serving in that regard. Uh, but you probably have no idea who's in the nursery right now. Uh, you might not even remember who greeted you at the door and handed you a bulletin when you came in. Uh, you might not know who's running the sound behind you right now without turning around and looking at him. Um, you know, you don't know who set up the sanctuary so that we could come in here, or who prepared the Lord's Supper's bread, or, or, or the cups and such. Um, yes, we put these names in the bulletin, but if you're, if you're anything like me, you'll probably look at that list and you're thinking, do I need to do something? Do I need to do something? And then you just move on rather than trying to figure out, oh, who do I have to thank for doing what they're doing? Um, that's just the way it works. That's not a, a shame on you kind of thing. It's just to let you understand that's kind of the role they're serving here is, is someone who uh, is very important for the, for the worship service that's happening in the temple uh, and, and yet was not incredibly glamorous. Uh, but they do. They consider it a privilege to be in the house of the Lord and serving, in the, serving that way. Uh, so that's, that's who's writing this. That's the sons of Korah who are writing the psalm. And, and this psalm is also unique in that it's the only psalm that contains three Beatitudes. Okay, Beatitudes is one of those terms we hear. We know what they are in the New Testament if you've grown up in the church at all. Uh, that term, Beatitude, though, you probably couldn't define it. I couldn't define it before. Uh, it comes from the Latin term that means happiness. Uh, it's simple as that. Uh, and you can find each Beatitude in our text here today just by finding the word blessed which also means happiness, and, and, and that phrase right there is going to tell you what the beatitude in this text is. And so, in this one, like I said, there's three of them. We're going to look at each of them, um, and, and the outline you'll see is actually laid out in that way along those beatitudes. So, uh, we're going to begin, I want to reread verses 1 through 4, and, and this includes the first beatitude you'll see in verse 4. Uh, so, verse 4, or verse 1, says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow find a home and the, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young and at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. I think it's safe to say that these doorkeepers love to be in the temple. I mean, that's, that's what you see here right off the bat. They love to be worshiping God. I find it interesting then that at least, you know, some of you older people in your lifetime, my lifetime, we've been able to see that fewer and fewer people within the culture that we live uh, are going to church to worship God. And that's sad. I think what I've seen that's even sadder than that is that, that churches of, of all types have noticed this. And the temptation that the leaders then face in these churches has been to come up with other reasons, other reasons for people to come to church that might draw people to church, um, people who find no joy in worshiping God at all. Uh, not long ago, a couple years I guess it was, Laura and I were visiting this huge church in Texas. It's not Joel Osteen because you're probably going to assume that. Uh, but it was just a, a fairly large church in Texas. And, and, and one of the things that was interesting is there was no sermon, not at all. It's not that you could critique it and be like it was a bad sermon. There was no sermon. Instead, they had an illusionist who was on stage the whole time doing magic tricks. And uh, so we sat there in our, in our chairs, and to be honest, we weren't bored at all. 
It was incredibly interesting, but we found we weren't worshiping God at all. Not a bit. We were just watching a show. And I, I mention this, and I understand this is an example of an extreme version of churches doing this, and that makes an easy target for us to critique them and say, look what they're doing, right? Uh, that's not my intention here. And the truth is, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say there is at times a temptation to figure out what do people want and to give it to them. That's the temptation facing churches today, um, to give them a reason to want to come to church, even if that reason isn't to worship the living God. It's like my kids would be much more excited if at dinner every night we had ice cream instead of pasta. They would come with great excitement, right? I mean, who wouldn't? I probably would for a while. But if I did that night after night, I think what we'd find is that my children become incredibly unhealthy and malnourished. Um, you'd probably be even fair to say that I didn't really serve them dinner, despite there being something on the table every night. See, what's beautiful here in this text is that the psalmist wants to be in the temple for the one simple reason, uh, this majestic purpose of praising God for how wonderful he is. That's it. You see, first he says his soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. You know, you've probably experienced this in a, in a human sense before. When, when someone has traveled away from you, that deep longing, that feeling um, that you just want them to come home to you or you just want to return home to who you're missing in that sense. Um, that's kind of what we're seeing here, that yearning to just be in the presence of God. He also says his heart and his flesh sing for joy. His heart and his flesh, it's, it's not just an outward worship. That's easy to do. You can get here and you can say the words. They're all in the bulletin before you. You can just repeat them and never, ever be engaged in worship. That's possible. That's not what's happening here, though. It's this heartfelt yearning to be praising God. And, and not just some concept of God that he's come up with, but the living God. You see, sometimes our, our corporate worship experience, um, I, I think it would be sweeter if we remember that one little detail right there. Um, the living God, that God is alive, God is real. I think we know that in a wider sense, but we forget that in the actual moment. That God hears you when you sing this afternoon, that God hears your prayers when you pray to him. See, if you're having trouble, remember that. I encourage you just talk to God, to, to ask him to give you a sense of his presence in your life. See, when we come to worship, we come to worship the living God. That's significant. Verse 3 then speaks of these, these two birds. You almost just want to pass it over because you're not sure what he's talking about. Um, it's a sparrow and it's a swallow. I, I think it's interesting that uh, both of these birds in, in Scripture really are, are symbols of something that's worthless. We don't like to call anything worthless, but that's really what their symbols are in Scripture. You might remember Matthew 10, 29. Uh, Jesus there is speaking to disciples, and he's trying to explain to them, you know, don't fear men. I know they can hurt you and do, you know, kill you. Don't worry about that, though. Um, rather, uh, I'll tell you who you should fear. And, he, and he's saying, you know, that basically God's saying, fear me because I'm absolutely sovereign. And, and in that moment, he says this to them. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? See, he's saying they're worthless. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And so he's saying they're worthless, worthless by all these worldly standards, and yet God cares and knows what's going to go on with them. Um, and yet as worthless as they are, uh, these, these sparrows in, in our text today in Psalm 84, we see that they found a safe place to, to make their nest and so live their life here in the temple of God. Uh, likely, 
this, this comes from a very literal understanding here. These, uh, the author, you imagine standing at the doors, watching to make sure who's coming in, and you're standing there. Uh, he probably literally saw these birds making nests and began to watch them and, and to see. And you, he kind of had this symbolism in his mind where he sees, you know, look, they, they have found their security here in the temple of the Lord and their security in God. And, and, and one of the things I love about that is if you've ever noticed these birds, any of you know what a sparrow or a swallow is? Okay, a few of you kind of shaking your head. They're, you see them around. Um, they're those birds that you'll see kind of in the evening, and they're flying everywhere. And if you try to follow them, you can't because they just seem to endlessly fly, fly, fly. Uh, and it's almost impossible to watch them because they're just going, going, going. And that's kind of the nature of these birds. And, and I love that because the one place that we see them finding rest here is in the temple of God, in the presence of God, uh, in, in that dwelling place. And it's so much like our human lives where we are just going, 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 more, 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 going, going, going. And, and yet... Here, we're, we're seeing this picture of finding rest, actual rest in God. Um, St. Augustine, I, I think it was, who, who once prayed to God that, that great statement, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Wow, I mean, how many of us don't know that's absolutely true or haven't experienced that? Uh, verse 4, then, is the beatitude. Remember, beatitude, happy, blessed. Uh, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Quite simply, there is great joy, great happiness to be found in, in worshiping God. And he has this picture of not just visiting God, not just kind of showing up for a little bit, but dwelling with him. There's a, a permanence to this. this. This image is fulfilled even more so when, when we learn that in the New Testament, that in the gospel, uh, that we have been made not just God's creation. You know, we're, we're born into this world as God's creation, but, but that we have been made his actual children as we are adopted into his family. Uh, Galatians 3.26 tells us, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. That is a family statement that you belong to him. So you, you, know, you catch that. You see, if, if God is giving you faith in his son, then you eternally dwell in the household of God. And so when we gather here in, the, in this afternoon worshiping, when we gather here and we're singing praise to God, we do so as, as fellow brothers and sisters who, who dwell in the house of God together. See, don't ever forget that whether your faith is strong or, or even weak at this moment, I think sometimes that's a fear for us, but whether it's strong or weak at this moment, at, at any given moment, in fact, the simple ability to believe the gospel is a merciful act that God has done in you and for you. Something as simple as going out and looking up at the stars and saying, wow, look what God made. That's a gift. You see, not everyone can actually do that. That's, that's the other side of Occam's razor, that sometimes the simplest explanation is impossible to believe apart from the simple gift of faith that God has given us. And this, this simple gift of faith is a gift, it's a blessing to bring us true and lasting happiness. And I think that's, that's why our text tells us that blessed are those who get to dwell in the house of God and sing praises to God because the only reason you can do that, really do that, I don't just mean say the words but actually worship God, it's because he has given us that gift of faith to do so. So the, the next portion of our text actually begins with the, the second beatitude. I want you to follow along, verse 5, we'll, we'll read through a little portion of that. Um, it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highway to Zion, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. 
The early rain also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. See, the image here is that of a, a pilgrim. And a pilgrim, um, I kind of think of the Mayflower that was it, but not it only. Uh, pilgrim is this word that just means a traveler who is on a journey to a religious place, any place. Uh, and, and this word Zion that we see in our text, that's one of those confusing Christian terms we see all over the Bible. Um, it's really just another word for the city of Jerusalem or, or specifically the temple in Jerusalem <clears throat> because it was made or built on Mount Zion there. It, it's kind of like if you call Boston Beantown. It's just another name for the same town. Um, and so what we see here is a pilgrim who in their heart desires to be at the temple of God at, at Zion worshiping God. And then we see this term, the Valley of Baca here. Um, as, as far as anyone knows, this place doesn't exist. Uh, no one's ever found a Valley of Baca. There's no reference to it anywhere. Uh, it is interesting, though, that the word Baca, however, is, is very close to the Hebrew word that means weeping. And so this has been understood throughout years and years and years uh, uh, to mean tears. You might call it the Valley of Tears. It's thought that this is a picture of our, our going through a difficult trial in our life, something that might cause weeping. And, and the image then is, is this dry valley uh, receiving this much-needed rain, bringing life, bringing health again. Uh, simply put, it's one who has found his or her strength in God and, and can find joy and blessing even in the toughest of trials of life. Um, in fact, because our, our strength is not in ourselves, but rather God, it says that we go from strength to strength. That's a good place to be, that, that, that it's God's strength, and, it's, and it continues, it does not end, because it's not my strength, it's not your strength, it's God's strength. Uh, so I mentioned before, this is an image of a, a pilgrim traveling to the temple, and, and you and I, we don't ever go to the temple. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is it's, it's been destroyed, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, it'd be a long journey trying to get to the temple at this point. Uh, but there's another reason. It's really important. It's because if your faith is in Christ, then you are the temple. You see, the temple was significant because the Spirit of God dwelled there in the temple. And, and since the cross, everything has changed. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? See, you're not God, but if your faith is in Christ, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's crazy. I don't know if we ever think about just how crazy that seems, that God actually dwells in us. It kind of weirds me when you stop and think about that. And yet, that doesn't mean that, that we now only worship alone. It doesn't mean that I'm the temple and I don't need you, I can leave. See, yes, we can, we can worship God by ourselves. We can wake up in the morning and we can pray and we can read God's word and, and, and such. But there's this unique, there's this very important way that we now worship God. Uh, when the people of God gather together for corporate worship like we're doing here, no matter what building it is. Even if we're out of the building completely. And, and so there's this wonderful joy that should come from that. But let me ask you this. So, when was the last time you were excited about corporate worship? I don't mean just going because you know you should or because other people are, or, you know, I think I might like it, but, but truly excited. When was the, the last time you were just ecstatic to go? Were you thinking, you know, what time is it? Did we get to go yet? And I don't ask that for, for guilt purposes. I understand. I feel it too. 
getting kids dressed and out the door wearing shoes, you know, having to be here at a certain time, like they're going to start whether I'm there or not. You know, there's that thought that just thinks, you know, I can download better preaching. You know, I can get Tim Keller on my iPod, iPod, on my iPhone. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of other guys that'd be better too. You know, even the other, this thought of, you know, what else could I be doing right now? And yet, throughout this psalm, the author is expressing that there's no place else that he'd rather be than with the people of God worshiping God. And I want that. I want that for me, and I, I want that for you, for us. I, I want us to feel how the psalmist feels about being in the presence of God for worship. And yet here we, we see him going on, yet still about how much he loves just worshiping God. Look at verse 9. Uh, we'll read it to the end. It says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. He says God is his shield, that God protects him. Psalm 3.3 says it like this, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. See, in our text, God has also lifted the face of the psalmist because he's asking God, you know, look, look upon me. He's saying this, you know, God, I want you to see this. All I want is you. I mean, that's the point of that well-known phrase in verse 11 where he says he'd rather spend one single day in the courts of God than a thousand anywhere else in the entire universe. I don't know if I, if I got down what it means to be in the presence of God that I could honestly make that statement. God, I want to be with you. I don't care what else there is. I don't care what sporting events are going on, what concerts I can be at. I want to be with you. He doesn't care what pleasures can be had. And he even mentions the, the wickedness, you know, with the wicked. He just wants God. Verse 11 explains why he wants to be with God. He, he calls God the sun, not like a, a, a male child, but sun like the burning, flaming ball that's floating up in the sky that makes no sense to me. Um, that kind of sun. A sun that gives light, a sun that gives warmth. And we get this picture that, you know, God's presence removes darkness. Gone. Again, he says that God is a shield and he expresses how much he desires the favor of God to be on his life. And then in verse 11, <clears throat> at the end of it, he states that he wants the blessing that comes from following God. He says, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's real similar to what we see in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And see, that, that really brings us to this third and final beatitude in, the, in this psalm, verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. There is happiness. There is joy because there is hope and, and salvation for the man and the woman or the woman who trusts in God with all his or her life. So you might be here today for any number of reasons. I have no idea who drug you here if you have no idea where you are if you think this is the meeting for something else. Uh, and yet I can tell you that the reason that we were having this gathering is because we trust in God. That's, that's why we're gathering. We, we trust that He exists. We trust that he, he knows our sin. 
We don't come in here with any secrets from him. We, we trust that he is loving and he has redeemed us uh, because he cannot overlook our sin. We trust that, that Jesus' death on the cross was for our sin and that it accomplished salvation for us. We trust that God accepted the sacrifice when he rose Jesus from the dead. We trust that when we sing praises to God together that God actually hears them and is pleased to hear us worship him. We trust that when our hearts finally give out, when we die, that our souls will immediately be in the presence of our Savior. See, that trust in the Lord is is why we meet for worship this afternoon. But again, let me ask you something. I mean, where do you want to be? You're here. I think that's great. I'm so glad you're here. But there's that question, where do you want to be? Because the psalmist here is making clear that there's no place that he'd rather be than worshiping God. But like I mentioned before, if I'm honest, there are times when I am just not excited to come to worship. I just want to relax. I just want to stay home. You know, more times than not, no matter what my attitude is before, I, I find that afterwards I am absolutely glad that I went. I'm, I'm glad that I got to confess my sin and, and be reminded that that sin is forgiven because I need that. See, I'm I'm glad that I got to receive the the nourishment of the Lord's Supper as I'm reminded of the gospel. I'm glad I was able to to hear the word of God and to hear it expounded and to sing the sweet words of these great hymns, whether they're old or new. I'm glad that I've gotten to interact with others who also trust in God and who are an encouragement to me as I I share. I just feel blessed to be in the congregation of God worshiping Him. And so let me encourage you, and I know we've done this before, but but let me encourage you to regularly meet for corporate worship. To not just attend, but to be a part of a congregation. We've said this before, before, it doesn't have to be here, and we really mean that. We love when people are here. I mean, we really do. But, but more importantly, we want to see someone committed to a church, a church that is founded upon the inerrant word of God. And that that be your, your covenant family that you are involved in. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think in this modern era where we're so used to things being in our time that, that corporate worship can be tough because you've got to actually show up. It sounds simple, but you have to actually show up. You have to put it on your schedule and make it a priority and realize what time it is and think, boy, we've got to actually move to get there. Um, and really, it's, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. That's not why it's this priority. You know, the, the truth is there are sporting events that are going on right now. You might be aware of some of them. Uh, there are genres of music uh, that you can be listening to or concerts you can go to. There are about a few thousand things on Netflix that you can begin to, to stream. Uh, there are great places in this town that we can eat. Um, you know, there are things that are way more exciting than, than the, the preaching you're hearing now, uh, more engaging than maybe the music that you'll hear, more, more uh, exciting than the liturgy that we've been working through. And, and, and that's why we've got to understand that we don't attend church for entertainment. We've really got to make that distinction. That's not why we, we come to church. We, we attend Taylor Swift concerts for entertainment, in my case, maybe a Counting Crows concert for entertainment, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we attend K-State football games, and we watch Planet Earth documentaries for entertainment and knowledge, and, and that's great. Go do that. I don't care. 
But we attend and we participate in, in, in worship because God is awesome. Because he's the only God, because he's our only hope for eternal salvation, really because he's worthy of our worship. That's what God deserves of us. And I guess my, my hope for you is that, that God, you know, for us, is that God would make us a church, make us a people who wake up on Sunday and think, I don't know how many days I have left on this earth, but today I get to go and worship my Savior. Wahoo! With more excitement than that, though. You know, just, I mean, even to the point of, of what the sons of Korah at the start of the psalm are saying, you know. You might even get up and say, I, I get to be a nursery worker in the house of the Lord today. And that's great because I'm giving some, some parents a, a break from their children so they can go to worship and just worship the Lord without being distracted. And to find joy in things like that. So I think, as we kind of come to the end of this, these, these psalms can be tough. And they're tough because we get to see just how much joy that this author, the author of the psalm, has uh, with corporate worship. But it doesn't always give us the easy way to get there. You think, yeah, I want to be what he has. I, I want to be just like that. I want that feeling ourselves. But, but it doesn't tell us how to get there. Um, let me start by, by just saying this. The first thing to do is to, to pray. I know that sounds so simple at times. Oh, yeah, we just pray. But, you know, I, I think, how many times have you asked God for that? To ask God, you know, God, give me pleasure in the act of worshiping you today. Is that a prayer that we pray? You know, just earnestly ask for it. And the other advice I'd give you is this. Actually prepare for worship. We prepare for a lot of things in our life, and, and the worship service is one that we tend to not prepare for. Uh, one of the ways you do that, read the text of the, uh, of the Scripture before you come to worship. Um, we, we put it out there early enough that you can see it on the website. Website Next week we're in Psalm 96. Read Psalm 96. Start to look at it. Think, boy, what questions do I have? What do I hope he answers? You might be more disappointed in me by the end, but, but it helps you to get engaged as you start thinking, what am I going to learn about? Um, ask questions of the text. Send them to me if you want. That might help me understand and, and not let you down, right? Um, <clears throat> but this will help you to be engaged in the, in the preaching, which is a significant portion of the service. Uh, also, look over the songs. We put the bulletin on the website at least by Thursday. Occasionally, we've been later than that. Uh, but you can look it up. You can see what the songs are. You can think, I've never heard this song. Uh, I know some of you wish there was music in the bulletin. It's not there, but you can look it up. If you do it early, you get familiar with it. You come in here, and you just belt your, your heart out singing to God, and you're not wondering, am I singing it right? So, um, Also, parents, you can play these songs for your children. I don't know if you know this. There's actually edifying stuff on YouTube. Uh, if you get past all the fails and the funny things, you'll find uh, some of these songs we sing that are done by, by amazing musicians. Um, and, and also, get sleep. See, when we're tired, we just have this crummy attitude about everything. It's just a physical thing. Uh, there's no way around it. But when you come in here on Sunday and you are exhausted, uh, you're almost looking for reasons to be disappointed. And, and that's just the way it is. And And... Uh, you know, not only that, if you read Hannah's blog this week, we're probably gaining weight from not sleeping enough. Um, so you can go read that if you want to know what that's about. Uh, but anyway, if at all possible, sleep. Sounds simple, but that's one of the ways you prepare to come and worship the Lord. Um, finally, pray as you're waiting for the service to begin. Ask God to encourage you to take away distractions, to strengthen your faith, to just know that he's real. Uh, to give you a, a humble and repentant heart, if that's what you're needing. To, to give you a sense of his mercy that he's showing us in the gospel. 
See, brothers and, and sisters in, in Christ, I, um, you know, let us, let us make worshiping God a priority in our lives, a priority in the lives of our families, um, because it's one of those things that, that gives God the glory, and, and we receive the blessing and the joy from doing that. That's, that's what I want for us. Let's pray.